Welcome to Sports Spectrum, the sports and faith podcast that brings Jesus back into the conversation. Here's your host, Jason Romano. Welcome everyone to the Sports Spectrum podcast. I am Jason Romano. Great to have you joining us here on the show today. Our guest today is former Dallas Cowboys wide receiver Jesse Holly. Before we get to our interview with Jesse, I want to tell you about a great deal going on with Sports Spectrum and the Sports Spectrum magazine. Go to sportspectrum.com and subscribe. It's $18 for an entire year. And our quarterly magazine allows you to become a part of the Sports Spectrum family and subscribe to what I think is a awesome tool to hand out to people and to show them the stories on the intersection of sports and faith. It could change a person's life. A magazine. It really could change a person's life. And your chance to subscribe is right now for the best deal you'll find around $18 for an entire year. Four issues of the Sports Spectrum magazine. It's our quarterly magazine. We also have a couple other bonus issues thrown in there. So it's really about six or seven issues of the magazine that you get. Certainly a welcome magazine, just inviting you uh, and thanking you, I should say, to come into the Sports Spectrum family. And it's a great looking magazine. Aaron and John, the two guys who work on the magazine, do an amazing job uh, of putting this as, as a top of the line quality magazine. It does not look like a second grader made it. It looks really, really good. And the articles in there are really excellent as well. And they feature uh, quite a bit of the podcast here. And there's devotionals in there and just great stories, great pictures, really an awesome tool and a great idea for a gift to give to someone this holiday season. So your chance to subscribe to the Sports Spectrum magazine is now $18 for an entire year. Go to sportspectrum.com and subscribe today. Our guest today on the podcast is Jesse Holly. Now Jesse's the former Dallas Cowboys wide receiver. Played in Big D from 2009 to 2011. He was a college wide receiver at North Carolina. He also played college basketball with the Tar Heels and actually won a 2005 national championship ring under Roy Williams and that Tar Heels team that won it all back in 2005 on the basketball team. But Jesse became known as a football player. And even though he went undrafted in 2007, he would sign with the Cincinnati Bengals and be a part of their practice squad for a little while there. The next year, he moved to the CFL, where he had a stint with the British Columbia Lions. And then, Fourth and Long came along. And the Fourth and Long show, if you remember, was a Spike TV reality show by Cowboys Hall of Fame wide receiver Michael Irvin back in 2009. And Jesse on this podcast tells the, the story in an amazing way. He's such a, a fantastic storyteller, Jesse is, on how he became a part of Fourth and Long and then how he won it and how God sort of ordained it all for him to happen. And you'll, you'll see what I mean when he tells the story. It's easy to say that God ordained it, but when you hear the details on how it all worked out, it's pretty incredible. But Jesse didn't just win this reality show. And what, what it was was an opportunity to have a tryout and have a spot on uh, the Cowboys at training camp, but then he had to make the team, uh, which he did not. He actually got cut, but then was brought on to the practice squad, and he worked his butt off on the practice squad in 2009, and in 2010, he was still on the practice squad, but then got promoted to the 53-man roster and was a special teams ace for the Cowboys, special teams captain for a couple seasons. In 2011, he finally got a shot, specifically in week two, on the field as a wide receiver and had his moment. His greatest catch, his greatest play of his NFL career in a week two game between the Cowboys and the 49ers in 2011. 
Tony Romo had fractured ribs and a punctured lung, and the Cowboys beat the 49ers in overtime 27-24, and it was Jesse Holly, yes, this Jesse Holly, who made a 77-yard catch-and-run reception from Tony Romo to put the Cowboys in position to win the game in overtime on a Dan Bailey field goal, 27-24. That 49ers team, by the way, a very good team, led by Alex Smith that went all the way to the NFC Championship game before losing to the New York Giants that year. So that was a good team, and Jesse Holly had his moment in that game in San Francisco at Candlestick Park, and he tells the story so wonderfully. This was a fantastic interview. I, I didn't know what to expect from Jesse. I really wanted to have him on to just talk about his charity, which you'll hear in the very beginning of the interview, Holly's Helping Hands. And yet we went what was supposed to be 20 minutes, about 40 minutes, uh, and heard an amazing journey and an amazing story. A pretty awesome guy, Jesse Holly, the former Dallas Cowboys wide receiver. And he joins us here on the Sports Spectrum Podcast. Jesse, welcome to the show. What's going on, Jason, man? I'm, I'm glad to be here, man. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'm grateful to have you come on the show and looking forward to hearing about your journey. Your journey is an awesome one. Certainly God playing a, a huge role in your life. But let's talk about right now for a second. It's the holiday season. And before we talk some football, let's talk about what's happening with Holly's Helping Hands and the great work you're doing in Dallas with that. Tell us about that. Well, Jason, thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to be here and even talking about this off the gate. Um, uh, Holly's Helping Hand is something that I started, man, maybe about uh, eight years ago. Uh, and, and what it basically was, I, I was um, I was on a plane back from a preseason game. And, you know, I kept saying to myself, you know, just do something greater in your community. And I remember looking at myself and literally just took a look from the head, from my head to my toe and all the clothes that I had on. I had on $200 sneakers, $150 jeans, $100 shirt, $300 belt. And mm-hmm. I said, I have all this stuff on me, but what, can I, what am I doing for my community? And so that moment I said, all right, let's do more for the community. And so uh, as someone who comes from a very poor background, I grew up in um, Roselle, New Jersey. I was I'm, I'm the middle of three boys, and uh, we were raised by my grandmother. And my grandmother made less than $40,000 a year. And so there were a lot of times where Christmas – was very, very tight if Christmas came at all. And I remember how I felt as a child to wake up to Christmas and, you know, not have gifts and not have toys and not have something to to talk about when I came back to school or something new to wear when I came back to school. And you know, my grandmother always told me, you know, if, if, if there's something that you can do, if you can give to someone else, even if it's just a little bit. And she demonstrated that, that to us in the way that she raised us and how she would take kids in the neighborhood and we didn't have much, but you know, if, if, if there was, you know, an extra popsicle to give it to a kid in the neighborhood, if there was an extra, you know, bag of chips that you can share to share with the kids in the neighborhood. And she was always about giving, 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 even though we didn't have much. And so, you know, th- that was resonating in my mind when I was thinking about what I wanted to do. And during Christmas, uh, I, I thought it was a perfect time to do it. And so uh, I got a team together and, and, and we, we reached out to some people in the DFW area and we wanted to find families who had children that were in need for this holiday season. And so what we do is we find, uh, we find about, you know, anywhere from eight to 15 families. Uh, my, my goal is to ultimately have 50 kids that I give a Christmas of a lifetime to. And we, we, we ask the parents for a list of wants and needs. You know, what do the kids want? Because we don't, we don't want to miss that factor, right? Some kids need 
coats and socks and shoes and clothes and, stuff, and things of that nature. Yeah. Uh, but that's all fun and well and good. But again, a kid wants to open up a toy, a gift um, that, that they, you know, that they've had their eyes on for Christmas. So we also ask them, you know, you know, what are they, what are their needs and what are their wants? And, uh, and uh, I partnered up with Old Navy at Great Brown Mills Mall and we go and we shop for all the clothes for the kids. Um, we give them, you know, new outfits and, and underwear and socks and coats and whatever they need. But we also, you know, try to find them a gift that, that they wanted for Christmas. Now, you know, some people may ask for uh, beat by Dre's, right? And it's like, we can't afford beat by Dre's, but hey, we can afford a nice pair of headphones that may not be beat by Dre's, but they give you something to listen to uh, your music in or, or whatever it is. We, you know, we can't afford PlayStation and things of that nature. Uh, every now and again, I, I, I've had a, I've had a PlayStation. I've had a, uh, donated to me. I've had a PS, whatever they are, PlayStation and the Xbox. I've had donated to me. So yeah. sometimes we get things like that, but for the most part, uh, we want to make sure that they have those things. And then I invite all these families. All right, I go where families become family. I invite all these individual families together, and we have dinner at David Buster's. David Buster does a great job with uh, giving us the space and supplying the food for us and stuff like that. And so we come, and I bring all these families together, and we have one big dinner, and then I surprise the families with these shoes, Santa bags, individually wrapped for each one of the children uh, that we have that night. And they come up and they get their bags. And, you know, it, it's just our way of saying, you know, hey, here's what we can do, love on one another. And, you know, uh, again, I'm, I'm huge on the things that my grandma taught me and it taught me about legacy. And that's how you start a legacy is, is, is these kids now who are sometimes 6, 7, 8, 10, 12 years old, they, don't, they never met Yvonne Holly, my grandmother, right? But 20 years from now, when they become adults and they're giving back to someone else, they'll say, well, I remember a guy named Jesse gave to me when I was 10. And, you know, that's how you create legacy. And they'll, they, they'll never know who Yvonne Holly is, but they, they, because of her, uh, her giving and her teaching me, her legacy lives on forever and my legacy will live on forever and so on and so forth. So that's what we do with Holly's Helping Hands. And so with, with people's gracious donations, uh, that's how we're able to supply all of these families and, kids and children with gifts and clothes during Christmas. And I loved how unashamed you are on Twitter asking for donations. I think it's great. You know, the more the merrier because we know where this money is going. We know it's going to help kids and provide uh, and give them a great blessing at Christmas. The simplest way, Jesse, for people to donate, and I'll re- repeat this and we'll repeat this at the end of the interview, but what's the easiest way for them to go donate? Uh, well, you can, if you have Twitter, you can go on Twitter. My Twitter name is at Mr. Fourth and Long. Um, and then the link is in my bio. Uh, you can donate right there. And if you don't have Twitter, I don't have many other social media networks, but you can also, uh, you can email me and it's, uh, Holly's Helping Hand, H-O-L-L-E-Y-S Helping Hands, H-E-L-P-I-N-G-H-A-N-D-S at gmail.com. So Holly's helping hands at gmail.com, or you can hit me up on Twitter at Mr. Fourth and Long on Twitter, and I can get the link to you via email, or you can find it on Twitter in my bio and just click it. And, and every single donation, you don't, it don't have to give much. If you gave five bucks, if you gave 10 bucks, if you gave 20 bucks, you know, whatever it is, it goes a long way. Um, and that's the one thing that we, we make sure that we do is that we try to stretch this each and every dollar and, and every, every dollar that we earn goes to these children and nothing goes to me nothing you know i'm not keeping any of this everything goes to them you know i've been i've been blessed richly uh being able to play in the national football league and now you know working for dallascowboys.com working for 105 people fan.com you know all the all the different platforms that i i, I work from 
Um, so we just we make that stretch as, 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 as long as we possibly can. And the more we raise, the more families that we're able to help. Uh, so that, that's the great thing about it is, you know, the more money that we raise, the more families that we're able to help, and the more kids are able to open up Christmas Day gifts and, and that right there. And, and we have, I have videos and links on, 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 on my page. And when you see the smiles on these kids' faces, yeah. uh, it's, it's something to, to remember that I, I'll never, ever forget. And there's so many stories that, that I've had. Um, and and, and I'll, I'll tell two quick, quick stories that, that I've had um, last year in the DFW area. I don't know if you know people will remember, but there was a, a woman who worked at a Dollar General, and she was a cashier at a Dollar General. And some kid came into the Dollar General to rob the Dollar General and killed her. And this woman was a mother of uh, five or six kids. Mm. And, you know, here it is. You know, she's trying to work to make a living to, to feed her family, to provide for her family. And someone comes in to rob the store and kills her. Well, last year we reached out to that family and we got those kids Christmas gifts. They just, and it was right before the holiday season. They lost their mom right before, I believe it was Thanksgiving. Um, we were able to give those kids um, a, a Christmas. And now I, I can't take the hurt away. But just imagine that those kids didn't have a Christmas on top of losing their mom right before Christmas, right? And so it's little things like that, you know. Um, you know, also, uh, I'm an athletic director at a, at, a, at, a, at a, a charter school fellowship Christian academy, and we had a bas- we, had, we had a volleyball, we had a volleyball, we had a volleyball um, championship game. And I remember walking into the gym, and these two young girls run up to me and they go, "Are you Jesse?" And I go, "I go yes." And so uh, they go, you don't remember us? I say, no. They goes, about four or five years, you helped our grandmother give us Christmas. And here are these young girls that I didn't even remember had grown up so much that they, uh, they remembered being a part of Holly's Helping Hand. So it's stories like that that you, know, you get a chance to touch these people's lives, and, and that's what makes it all worth it. Yeah, that's awesome. We're talking to Jesse Holly here on the Sports Spectrum podcast. This is a faith in sports podcast, Jesse. So tell us your testimony. Tell us about what God has done in your life and when you make Christ uh, Lord of your life? Well, you know, I always say that, you know, that, 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 that Jesus, for me, he's always, he's always known how to reach me. And one of the ways that he reached me was in college. Now, I've always believed in God. Now, I didn't always walk the perfect walk. Um, right. Again, I, I grew up in New Jersey, and I, was a, I, was a, I got in a lot of trouble as a teenager. And... When I got into school, I remember it was my sophomore year in college, and I'm sitting in this communications class, and there was this young lady in this class. Her name was Princess Lacewell. Remember like it was yesterday. Mm-hmm. And the teacher said that, all right, cool, I'm going to pair you guys up, the whole class, and you know, we're going to do an a, a interview. We're going to interview each other, and then that, that'll be your, one of your big assignments for this communications class. And so that was one of the first nights I went home and seriously and sincerely prayed because I wanted to talk to this girl, but I didn't know how to, to say anything to her. She was very, 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 like she would come to class, do the classwork and leave. She never really talked to anybody. It was very stern and she would leave. So I'm like, I'm like, Lord, if you really, really love me like you say you love me, man, you will put me and Princess together in this, in this group setting so that I can talk to her and get to know her. And so the next, uh, the next day we come to class or the day after we come to class, and the teacher, she has like the old school um, overhead projector, and she puts a piece of paper down, and she's pulling it back, and she's like revealing names of who's going to be in the group. And she gets to my name, and she goes, Jesse Holly. And I'm looking at her, I'm like, all right, come on, God, come on, God. And she pulls it out, she goes, Jesse, you'll be, you'll be matched up with 
Princess Lacewell. <laughs> and on the inside, I was cool. Like I, I mean, on the outside, I was cool. I was calm, reflective. On the inside, I'm going crazy. Like, yes, yes. I find out, look, I'm like, I point to her. I'm like, all right, cool. And so we do our interview. And after the interview's over, I'm like, hey, what's going on? Like, how can I get to know you a little bit more? Like, how can I get to know you a little bit more? So, well, um, I'm a full-time student, and I work a full-time job. I'm trying to graduate in three years. I'm an English major, yada, yada, yada. I don't really have time for all that kind of stuff. But, you know, um, you know, if you want, you can go to church with me on Sunday. Now, at the time, I'm like, Sunday? I'm like, man, I play football on Saturday. Sunday's my rest day. Like, I don't, you know, right before we go to school. I'm like, I'm not trying to give up my Sundays and go to church. And she goes, well, I don't know what to tell you. I don't have the time right now. I only have some time, you know, to go out on Sundays after church. So I said, all right, cool. I can, I can, I can spare one Sunday and go out. So we go to church one Sunday, and I have no idea what the pastor saying. I have no idea what the word was, any of that. I just wanted us to go to dinner after, you know, lunch after, the, after church and for me to spend time on. So we do that. And, so, and I'm like, I'm like, hey, you know, did you have a good time? So like, yeah, I really did have a good time. You're really nice. You're really sweet. Yada yada yada. I'm like, great. When can we do this again? She goes, well, because I was next Sunday. I'm like, come on, I can't do two Sundays in a row. And she's like, well, I told you, like, I'm really trying to graduate in three years. Like, and you're a nice guy, but I just don't have all that extra time, you know. And I can't be. I'm, I'm not out partying, doing that kind of stuff. I was just like, I'll call you. So by the time I got home, I said, all right, cool. I'll give her another Sunday because she's really, really cute. So I go the <laughs> next Sunday, and I sit down, and we're in church, and it felt like someone had written down my entire life, and he was saying it to everybody. Like, he was telling, the pastor was telling everybody my business, what was going on in my life. And I remember I, I just started bawling, crying in church, and I'm just crying, crying, crying. And it was at that moment, it was at that moment right there that I knew I knew at that moment, I said, it's time, Jesse, for you to begin to give God more of you. Give God his just in your life and start truly living a life like you say you want to live. Hmm. And it, 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 took, it took God trying to reach me. And I'm, and I'm sure there were many other mess times and there was many other ways and signs and signals and messages that he was sending to me that I either ignored, that I either just uh, missed or whatever it was. But it took him to send this pretty young girl into my life for me to get me into church, for me to hear this word from the pastor. And that was, that was the moment where I said, okay, here's where I'm going to begin to live a life for Christ. And it was, it was because Princess uh, got me to come to church and it got me to hear this word uh, from God. And so that, that was the moment uh, that it happened for me. That's so cool. That's such a great story. And I wonder for you, because as we move through your journey and you go undrafted and you end up you know, in the Bengals organization for a little bit, and then the CFL, and then Mr. You mentioned Mr. Fourth and Long, which is your Twitter handle. And for many who don't know the story, I know certainly many who do. I, I grew up and still am a Cowboys fan, so I certainly remember it. Fourth and Long was a reality show in 2009 yeah. that Michael Irvin had put on on Spike TV, and you were a part of it and won the competition to get an invitation to play with the Cowboys. Tell me how about how that all came about and how you ended up on that show. Well, it, it goes back to the whole faith thing. And it goes back to the whole, um, you know, just Christ really being um, just a huge part of my life. Because again, I found Christ and still beginning to walk for God my sophomore year in college. But then like most people, when you're a Christian, um, you begin to walk on that path, but sometimes, you get off that path and you begin to go wayward and you begin to get worldly. And so yeah. when I got to Cincinnati, I, and I, and I, I, I assume many young athletes 
this happens to him. I, I get to Cincinnati, and here you are. I'm this young kid, and I'm ingratiated into this culture of the National Football League. And, you know, it, it's, it's sometimes tough to kind of bring your, uh, your faith uh, with you and your religion with you and kind of stand alone and say, hey, I'm not doing this, and I'm not doing this, and I stand for this, and I stand for that. When you're a rookie, especially an undrafted rookie, trying to fit into a locker room, trying to make a football team. And so here I was at Cincinnati, young kid. I didn't know anybody. I'm in the locker room with Chad Johnson and TJ Hushmanzada and Chris Henry. Like, these are all the guys that I'm Rudy Johnson. And, you know, all these guys are, are I'm in the locker room with. And that time, that Bengals team was a pretty, pretty veteran team, older team. Wasn't many young guys on that football team. Uh, and if you remember, that Bengals team was also a team, you know, that, that stayed in a lot of trouble. Guys were always getting into something. Yes. And so here I am. I'm trying to fit into the culture of what the locker room was. And I'm, you know, I'm not studying my playbook and I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do. And I'm out partying and I'm out, excuse me, I'm out partying and I'm out hanging out and I'm, I'm, I'm spending money excessively that I don't even really have. And I don't really understand the concept of, of, you know, the NFL and how this thing can be taken away from me at any point in time. Cause at that time, at that point in time in my life, I was always the guy. I was always your starter. I was always the guy who's playing. So I never knew anything but that. And, you know, I, I got into the whole party scene, um, you know, flying girls in and out. If you know anything about Cincinnati area, you yeah. know, you got CVG Airport, you got Dayton Airport about 40 minutes away. So I was flying one girl out of CVG, the next girl was flying into Dayton Airport. And I would drop one off and we'll pick one up all on the same day. Mm. And so here you have this cycle and you have this cycle going on. And I here that God has given me this gift to be able to play a sport, right? 1% of 1% makes it to the National Football League. And here I am in the National Football League, and I'm doing everything else than what I'm supposed to be doing here uh, as a football player, as a Christian man, all of these things. And then one morning, about like week eight or nine of the season, I get a call. Probably like week seven or eight of the season, I get a call. I'm sitting in my, um, sitting in my room. It's a Tuesday morning, day off. And it's the owner. It's, 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 uh, it's, it's uh, Mr. Brown. And he calls me, and he basically says, Hey, Jesse, you know, thank you for your services. Uh, you know, in this league, it sometimes comes down to a numbers game, and you happen to be the little man on the total pole. Thank you, but we're going to release you. Mm. And at that time, I had no clue what that meant. Like, I, I didn't know, like, what, what does low man on the total pole mean? Like, what do you mean? Like, how do I fix that? How do I – I can't – how do I change low man on the total pole? And it left me at a place of, of, of almost the pressure. I didn't leave my apartment. I didn't leave – uh, Cincinnati for a while, I was embarrassed. I was too embarrassed to go back to New Jersey because you don't want to be the guy, you know, you, you, you hear all the stories of, oh, he'll be back. You know, he's just like the rest of us. He's no better than us. You know, right. he, he may have went to college and he may have went to North Carolina. He may have won a national championship, but he'll, he'll be back. He'll be back. Don't worry. He, you know, you know, just, just wait, just wait. He's coming back. And so I was too embarrassed to go then. So I went, I packed up myself and went down to, uh, back to Durham, North Carolina where I stayed with a family friend and hoping that, you know, the phone will ring. And I'm like, man, my agent's like, hey, no one's calling right now. I'm like, man, come on, come on, work something out. And, you know, almost, a, uh, uh, you know, the season ends and the, I didn't save my money right and I was spending all crazy. And so here I am, I had to get a job. And so I'm working at T-Mobile in the morning time and I'm, I'm, a, I'm like a mall security cop at night in a place called uh, uh, Tobacco Road. It was like a, a, um, it was like a little kind of small complex where I was a third shift security supervisor. 
And it was one of the it was one of the most painful things I've ever had to do in my life because I hated the person that I saw every single night that I had to get up and get dressed and his stupid security uniform with this fake clip on tie that I had to put on. Yeah. And I had no money. Um, you know, I, I kind of isolated myself and just, you know, just was just hoping and praying that I can get back to a point where, you know, I, I was the, the, the 24-year-old guy who was in the league. And so it, through a, a, a bunch of strange events, phone calls and all this kind of stuff, that's how I got to, to fourth along. And what was that experience like? to be in, in a reality show and all of a sudden you're kind of thrust into this different type of fame and different type of uh, public place, even though you had already played, you know, on some big stages and now you're in essence fighting for your professional football career on a reality show. Well, the, 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 it, it was crazy to be on the show and, and I'll, I'll briefly walk you through how it happened. I got a call one night from a guy named Kevin Best, who was the PR guy at Carolina at the time. I, I was two years removed from school. And he calls me and he goes, hey, Jess, this is Kevin Best. I want to let you know that I gave you a number and your information out to a guy at Spike TV. They're doing some kind of reality TV show. I don't know much about it, but I wanted to call you and tell you that I gave him your number. So the people from, from Spike TV called me. I filled out this online application. And, you know, through a couple of series of phone calls, they wanted me to go to an audition. And they had five audition locations, one in Ohio, one in Dallas, one in Orlando, and two in California. And I remember I told you I was dead broke. I had no money. I had no money. I was actually driving a car that I had got, but I was so broke, I couldn't pay insurance. And one time I got pulled over, and I had no insurance on my car. So the police followed me back to my house and then took the license plate off my car because I had no insurance, and I was driving without insurance. They took my license plate until I got insurance. Well, I stole another license plate off a car in the apartment complex, and I drove back and forth to work with a stolen license plate on my car. So that's the only way I had to be transported to get, to get money. Back then, there was no Uber. There was no Lyft back then. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, so uh, I, I couldn't afford to fly. I couldn't afford to drive. I was too afraid. I'm like, imagine me getting pulled over in the backwoods of Georgia driving to Orlando with the store lights put on my car. That wouldn't have ended well for me. That wouldn't have ended well for me at, at any point in time. And so um, I remember getting a call one day from my, uh, from my godmother. She just was checking on me, calling me, saying, hey, I haven't heard from you in a while. I'll call to check on you. And we had a conversation. At the end of the conversation, she goes, hey, do you need to go anywhere? And I said, well, no. She goes, I said, why? She goes, well, I have a plane ticket that I was going to Alabama to see my dad uh, last year, but, you know, her son Dylan got sick. And she goes, well, they called me and said that it's about to expire, and if I don't use it, I'm going to lose it, and I'm not going anywhere in the next couple months. So if you need to go somewhere, just let me know, and I'll try to transfer it over to your name. So I'm like, wow, I need to get to Orlando for this audition. So she calls me in the morning. She goes, you got to ticket to Orlando. Uh, go ahead and go. So now I go from not having a way to Orlando to the audition to now having a plane ticket. Well, I had to be there for two days, and I have nowhere to stay. Well, I remember that. I had a family friend who dated my great uncle for years upon years upon years and was my fifth grade teacher. And she had moved to Orlando when I was in college. She would always call me and say, hey, come down to Orlando. Come hang out. Bring your friends. Bring your girlfriend. Bring whoever you want. I, I have a place here, you know, more than enough room. I have a pool, yada, yada, yada. And I would always blow her off like, yeah, 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 sure, sure, sure. And I never came. So I called her up and I was like, hey, I'm coming to Orlando. Is the invitation still open for me to stay at her house. She said, absolutely. You know, where, where, what are you coming for? What do you have to do? I said, well, I'm coming down here for this, and this is where I have to go. She goes, are you serious? I go, yeah. I go, she goes, really? I said, yes, why? She goes, well, 
This is literally five minutes from my house. She goes, I pass it every morning on my way to work. She goes, it's a 10 to 12 minute walk if you wanted to walk there. She goes, but, you know, you can use the car. It's right around the corner from my house. I literally pass this place every single day. Wow. So here it is. I had no way to get there. And then I get a plane ticket to get there. And then I don't know where I'm going to stay. Then I find a place to stay. The place that I'm, place that I'm staying is five minutes with the location where I had to be. And so you talk about how God works his magic and how, not magic, but how God his providence and his plan works out in your life. It was God was doing things on the back end for me that I had no clue was happening. And I go and I, and I get to be on this show called Fourth and One with Michael Irvin. And I remember right before I left, I called my older brother and I said, listen, bro, I need a thousand dollars. He said, what? I need a thousand. I need a thousand dollars. I said, listen, I don't want to fall too far behind in my bills. I go, but this will just hold me over for the next two months while I'm doing this show. And I, you know, we'll win some money from the show and I'll pay you back. And I'll be able to catch back up on my bills. And I said, listen, I promise you, I'm going to pay you back. He goes, how are you going to pay me back? I said, I'm not losing. I said, I'm not going to lose. I said, I promise you, I'm not losing. And he said, I believe you. And so he went to his 401k and got some money for himself and got some money for me and gave it, me, gave it to me. And I went on this show and I was determined not to lose. And people always ask the question, it doesn't, this, this, it's getting ready to be, this, this coming May, uh, it'll be 10 years. Yeah. It'll be 10 years since we did this show. And it never fails. People still ask me, man, that was a great show. I watched it. Why wasn't there a season two? And I always smile and I always laugh when I go, it was never meant to be a season two. This was God's way of telling me and showing me, like, hey, trust me. I, I can do this. I-, I can make a way when you think there is no way. I can, I can make – I'm the only player. I'm the only player. The only player in NFL history to ever get into the NFL from a reality TV show. There's no other player like me. There's no other, there's no other situation like mine. And that just shows you the uniqueness and the, and, and the greatness of God. Is that He said, I'm going to put you back in the league, not in a way that you can say Jesse Holly did it, but I'm going to put you back in the league in a way that you can only say it was me. Because when you tell the story and you tell all of these situations and circumstances, you can't say it was you. You cannot put your name on this. You cannot take the credit for this because everything happened in such a unique way. There's no way that human can do this. There's no way that all of these things can fall in line and you be, you be the one to take credit for. And I remember after I won the show, um, the, the one of the producers, DJ, the guy who I met in Orlando, he said, I don't think, he goes, I don't understand. I don't think you understand what just happened. And I go, what do you mean? He goes, well, let me tell you. He said, there were over 20, you know, he said there were over, uh, there were over a hundred thousand applications sent in. (laughs) A hundred thousand applications sent in. He goes, between the five audition locations, we auditioned over 22,000 people. Mm. We met with and we auditioned over 22,000 people. He goes, from there, we picked 50 of you guys to go to L.A. to do, we had had like a combine, we had to stay for like a week in L.A. He goes, out of that 50, we picked 12. Out of that 12, there was one. That one was you. He goes, so really, like... You, you had a better chance of hitting the lottery than you did to win this show. Yeah. So, you know, it, it, it's God's way of saying this. I can do, I can do things like this that man can't do. <laughs> well, and it's not just fourth and long here. It's like fourth and 99 uh, for your chances of getting this. Exactly. And you got it and you still, and you won it. And then you end up with Dallas and then you still not guaranteed a spot on the team. And yet, 
you no. you still make the practice squad and you're a part of this team in 09 and 10, same thing. And then you get to the active roster and in 11, which I want to move to as quickly through the, the sort of tri, you know the time that you were there. 2011 is when you made your first catch. And I'll never forget watching that game where you make your first NFL catch because I was working at ESPN and we were in a place called the War Room at ESPN. And I watched the games with all of the people that you would have seen who work at ESPN on TV at that time. And it's the game where Tony Romo, I believe, suffers broken ribs against the Niners. Yep. It's so much different things happen in that game. Guys get injured, and then it goes to overtime. And all of a sudden, Jesse Holly makes his first NFL reception. It's a 77-yard pass. I need you to walk us through your memories of that game and certainly that catch because <laughs> what stands out to me is after you make the catch, you go on your knees and you put your arms up, and you're just like – giving God the praise. And I'm up there not only cheering yeah. for the Cowboys, but I'm cheering for you because you just gave God the glory. Share the story with us. Yeah. Well, that, that was a very unique story because uh, if you remember that season, uh, week one, we played in, uh, in New Jersey against the Jets on 9-11. It was a great, it was a great moment, but that game ended uh, with a pick by Darrell Revis. Des Bryant messed up his quad in that game. Yes. So he was doubtful to play the very next week. Um, we still had the emergence of Miles Austin, and um, you know we later find out that Miles Austin he had the chronic hamstring injury. So we come into this week, uh, and I am I am so we have Des Bryant um, potentially out of the game time decision. So all week long, I am the starting receiver when we go into eleven personnel, <laughs> right? So it was, it was Kevin Overtree, and it was Miles Austin. We're starting in twenty-one or twelve personnel. But whenever we went with three wide receivers, I was in that mix and practice all week. And I was the kind of guy who prepared each week like as if I was a starter. Like that's how I always prepared. So I'm practicing and I'm practicing and I'm getting excited because I'm saying, man, this is going to be my first time really getting a chance to get some real meaningful playing time outside of being, you know, a part of the special teams, which I was like a special teams captain yeah. my years in Dallas. Um, you know, I played. I was a core special teams guy, and 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 and, and all that kind of stuff. And so. All week long, I'm practicing. You know, the game plan is being built, with, you know, with not me in mind, but me in the game plan. And so we get to uh, we get to Candlestick, and I'm excited, and I'm ready to go. And, and I remember standing in the training room, and Kevin Ogletree is sitting on the table getting his ankle tape, and I'm just kind of going over the last couple of things with him before we get ready to go out. And I'm just saying, like, hey, remember, KO, when we get in this personnel, hey, I'm coming in, you're going here, I'm going here, yada, yada, make sure that we're on the same page. At the time, uh, Coach Robinson was our wide receiver coach. He walks in, and I'm six foot three, two hundred and twenty pounds. Coach Robinson was a smaller white gentleman, and Coach Robinson walked in, <laughs> and as if I wasn't standing there, he looks at Kevin Overtree and he goes, "Hey, change of plans. When we go to eleven personnel, you're going here." Never one time did Coach Robinson look at me or acknowledge me, and. They, my nickname used to call him was, was Holly Grove. And so Kale goes, well, I thought Holly Grove was going to go there. And Coach goes, well, not today. It's a change of plan. You're going to go there. Dwayne Harris will play your spot. Mm. And at that moment, I was crushed. I was crushed. Because I, 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 I thought to that point, man, I worked my tail off. What more do I have to show Coach Garrett, Coach Robinson, all these coaches that I am ready to play in this moment? So – not many people know this, but the entire pregame, the entire pregame that we're out there, I'm crying. I'm literally crying in tears wow. because I was so upset. I was so upset. I'm like, man, 
I thought this was my time. I thought this was my moment. And I remember coming back in, John Chittner, one of my group, my great friends, man, great, great, great dude, great man of, uh, of faith. Just, I love John Chittner. John Chittner walks up to me and he goes, man, what's your problem? What's your deal? I'm like, Kit, man, what do I have to do, man, to show to these guys that, I, that I'm ready to play? And, I, and, I, and I'm, I'm giving him this whole spiel, and he's looking at me like, he goes, you got a uniform today? I said, yes. He goes, then you have an opportunity to make a change in this game. He goes, you got a uniform. He goes, stop all this crying. Stop all this. Whatever it is that you're doing, this ain't you. Stop all this and go out here and do whatever it is that you can do to help this team win. If that's on special teams, then darn, that's on special teams. Do whatever it is you got to do. You got a uniform. You're playing today. Be thankful that you're playing today. And I was like, yeah, but Kitty goes, no, but nothing. Be thankful that you're playing today. Use this moment to go out here and do what you're supposed to do, however it happens in the game. So I'm like, all right, cool, whatever. You know, fix myself together, and I go out there and play. And Dwayne's playing the entire game. I'm just doing my special thing. So I figured to myself, you know what? He's right. I'll just have a great day on special teams. And throughout the game, Dwayne is messing up left and right, can't line up right, running the wrong route, and coach is getting more and more and more and more agitated. And so we get to this point in the game where Dwayne goes in, lines up in the wrong spot, something happens, he runs the wrong route, and I'm standing at the Coach Robinson, and it's, uh, it's like the fourth quarter, and I hear Coach Garrett scream, get him the F out of there. Get Dwayne the F out of there. I'm tired of this. And Coach looks at me, and he goes, Jesse, go in. Now, People remember the 77-yard catch. Right. That is a memorable play. The thing that people fail to, fail to remember is the two plays before the 77-yard catch. When we're moving the chain to try to even get this game into overtime, I had three catches that day. One was a 77-yarder, but I had two big third-down catches to keep the drive alive. Mm. And the one, I remember coming back to him, I said, Tony, I said, man, they're playing me off and inside. Don't, don't, don't forget about me out here. He throws me a slant. I, it was literally at my feet. I pick it up off, like, off the top of my shoelaces for a third down and keep the drive alive. I catch another one to keep the drive alive. At this point in time, Miles up to the pass, and he comes back into the huddle, and he goes, Jess, I'm done. I go, what do you mean you're done? He goes, my hamstring is shot. I can't run. I'm like, Miles, we, we got to win this football game, yeah. and it ain't going to be on me. Like, we, we need you. He goes, I can't run, man. And so we ended up, like, the next play, we ended up doing a running play. to kind of line up Dan Bailey. He makes the field goal. We go into overtime. So now in overtime, Tony Romo has a punctured lung and broken ribs. Des Bryant didn't play. And now Miles Austin is out. So I'm thinking to myself, how are we going to win this football game when two of our best receivers are gone and our quarterback is literally half dead? Yeah. Like, how are we going to win this football game? So we go, we go to overtime. They get the ball first. We stopped them on defense, and I remember John Kittner saying to me, you know, hey, you got a uniform. You can impact this game today. Go do what you do. So I, I say to myself, oh, here we go. We stopped them. I'm going to go block the punt, win this game for us. That's how I make my mark. <laughs> well, that didn't happen. We fair catch the ball, right? And then now we're in the huddle. And I'm standing at the tone. Now, before that, so fair catch the ball. We all go to the sideline. And – you see Tony Romo saying something to me. Like in this clip, Tony Romo saying something to me. I have no clue what he said to me. I have zero clue what he said to me. Because I keep trying to tell him, I'm ready. I'm ready, Tony. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. So we get the ball, and I'm standing next to Tony Romo in the huddle. He comes back in. He goes, all right, here we go, fellas. And Jason Garrett calls the play. 
This is Vincent Garrett called 585 Harvey. And I know this for a fact because I'm standing at Tony Romo and I can hear what Jason calls in through the microphone in his helmet. Tony goes, Tony shakes his head and he goes, all right, here we go, F this. Let's go win this basketball game. And let's go win this football game. <laughs> and he calls the play and he calls Z Poker. Now, Z Poker is an all or nothing play for the Z. I was playing the Z. This play is all Z, all Z, all Z, or throw it in the stands and we'll live to see another day. And he calls the play and it happens to perfection. And I get down and I run to the one-yard line. Now, here's the interesting part of the story. <laughs> I joke with a lot of people and I say, this is why you didn't score? I said, well, I wanted to give Dan Bailey a chance of redemption. Dan Bailey missed a field goal earlier in that game. That's right. That would have not, would have, that, that would have had, we wouldn't have had to go to overtime if he even made that. So I said, I want to give Dan Bailey redemption. But the interesting part of that story is, if I go score a touchdown, Jason, right, game is over. Everybody mobs me. Everybody comes on the field. Everything happens. And it gets all mushed up in that, right? Right. But I get tackled at the one, which means the game is still going. We still have to run a play, which means everyone has to stay on the sideline. And it was my moment. It was my moment to give God the glory. It was my moment to say, in, in this time, the biggest play of your career, will you celebrate you? Will you do the kind of, hey, point at the name, play on the back of my jersey? Or will you give me credit? And the thing that I was always thankful for is that God didn't say, because God could have picked anybody to be fourth along with. He could have picked the Browns. He could have picked the Jacksonville Jaguars. Both of those teams need publicity and probably would have done it. But God and, and Christ chose the Dallas Cowboys, the most recognizable franchise in the world. Yeah. The record, most recognizable sports franchise in the world. He picked that team. He picked one of the, the, the team's you know, rival games against the Niners, and he picked that moment. He picked that moment where he knew everybody would be watching. And he didn't take away from anyone else. Miles Austin, if you go back and look at that game, I think he had three touchdowns for 100-something yards. Jason Witten, 100 yards and a touchdown. Tony Romo comes back in and has a, has a heroic, Herculean effort. Even John Chicken comes in and throws four touchdowns and over 100 yards in that game. Yeah. So nobody had anything taken away from their shine. But God said, I'm going to give you a moment for you and for me. And it was that moment he was saying, what will you do? It was, it was a testing of the faith. And he was saying, what are you going to do in this moment? Are you going to praise Jesse? Are you going to make this about Jesse? Or are you going to give me the praise? And that's when you see me on my knees, you know, on stretch wide, and I'm just screaming out, glory. I'm thinking out, thank you, Jesus. Glory to God. Thank you, Father. And I just keep saying, I'm, I'm in tears, and I can't stop saying it. I can't stop saying it. And it was funny when we got to the meeting the next day. Some people laughed. And it was like, man, what are you doing? You, you, you're going crazy. And I remember John Kittner was like, John Kittner came to me and he said, he goes, you think it's crazy because you don't understand where you came from. Mm. And that, I was like, wow. Like, you know, and, then, and that, so that's where that moment came from and that big play, that 77-yard play. <laughs> I love that. We could talk for two hours about this stuff. That's such a great thing. But for, <laughs> for time purposes, yeah. and I love how you tell it too because you're very detailed and descriptive in it. And that's what you want to hear when you're describing the most important play of your career in many ways. But let's close it with this, Jesse, and I do appreciate your time here. What is the Lord teaching you? It's been seven years since that play. You're doing analyst work now for Dallas, like you said, on 105.3 the FM and then DallasCowboys.com. And obviously great work with Holly's Helping Hands. But what is God right now in this season of life where he has you? What are you learning from him? What's he teaching you? I think the biggest thing for me right now is patience. Uh, and, and for a lot of people like me, and I, and I mean like me, I mean male, 
right? Males have a hard time with patience. Yeah. We have a hard time sometimes with just being able to uh, be submissive to God's word and to God's plan. And we think that, the, you know, this, this, the, the male species, most of us are, are the alpha male type, but we just go and go and go and go and think, I got to do it, I got to do it, I got to do it. I think the biggest thing that God is teaching me right now is to be patient. And he gives me these situations, these scenarios where everything, he's like, you know, in my timing, Jesse. Not, not your timing, in my timing. Not your plan, Jesse. My will will be done. My plan will be done in your life. And, and so that's the biggest thing for me is learning patience and learning that God's will and God's plan for my life is actually the best plan that I could ever think of. I could not think of a better plan than the one that he has for me. So for me, I have to sometimes, you know, take a step back and be patient and say, you know what, all right, God, what are you saying? Lord, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? How do you want me to approach this thing? Because uh, a lot of times I just want to go. I'm, just, I'm all gas sometimes. And sometimes he's like, wait a second, son. No, not right now. And, and I, I, I start to have these things in mind. I'm like, man, I, I wanted to have this at a certain age and that at a certain age. And I look around me sometimes and I see people who have a, have a success in my field or who may have this that I want or that that I want. And, and the Lord is teaching me patience. He goes, that, that's not for you right now. This is not for you right now. I'm working on this. And it always reminds me. He always takes me back and, and always makes me check his track record and go, listen, I got you. I, and there's not, never a time that I didn't have you. Look at your life. Look at, look at what you've been through. Each one of those moments and steps, I never let you go. I, you had to face some things because I needed, I, I needed your patience. I needed, your, I, I needed to, 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 to have you worked out so that you're lacking nothing. And so that's the biggest thing for me is being to be right now. He has me in this, in this holding pattern of be patient. And I know I, I like it to this. I, I'm, 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 I'm in this plane, right? And we've all been on planes where they say, all right, we're ready for takeoff. And then you get on the tarmac and you're sitting there and it goes, oh, wait, we, we, we have to wait. Yes, we're ready for takeoff, but, you know, we're number five on takeoff. Yeah. And you got to wait. And we're all trying to get to wherever we're getting to. I, I'm trying to get home or I'm trying to get a vacation or I'm trying to get to this destination. And, and, and God sometimes says, hold on. Yes, you're in the plane. You're ready to go, and then you're gassed up, and we're going to get to that destination. But right now, Jesse, you're, you're number five on takeoff. You're not number one. So you got to wait till number one goes. And then number two may be 20 minutes from now. And then number three may be 40 minutes from now. So sometimes we sit on the tarmac, and we're sitting in this plane that's ready to go. We're buckled in. We're strapped in. we got our magazines. we got everything we're ready to go. Our headphones are in, and we're ready to go on this journey and get to our destination. But God sometimes says, hey, hey, no, no, you're number five on takeoff. So you got to wait. You got to be patient. And as eager as you are to get there, and as bad as you want to get there, and you're in this plane, and it's gassed up, and it's revved up, and you're on the tarmac, and you're next to go, you're number five. And so that's where I'm at. I, I'm, I'm on this tarmac. I'm on this, I'm on this plane, and I'm, 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 I'm ready to ascend into the skies and get to that destination. But God has me in that place where he's teaching me, you're number five. Be patient. I got you. The plane will leave. You'll get to your destination. But we'll do it on my time, not your time. He is Jesse Holly, the former Dallas Cowboys wide receiver, doing great work with Holly's Helping Hands. Again, check out him out on Twitter at Mr. Fourth and Long to donate. You can see a link on his Twitter page or email him, Holly's Helping Hands at gmail.com. We'll put a link to that in our show notes on our website at sportspectrum.com. Jesse, great stuff, man. I hope to have you back again and we'll talk some more. And uh, just enjoyed hearing your journey and hearing your story. And uh, happy holidays. Wish you nothing but the best. Have a great Christmas. And we'll talk to you soon. Jason, thank you so much, man. Thank you, thank you. Thank you for using your platform 
your platform for the kingdom of Christ, man. And just thank you for having me. And I hope that this message uh, touches someone. It's just one person. That's all I need to touch for one person to, to hear the glory of God. And, and that right there is, is more than enough. So thank you for using your platform for good. Uh, and, and, you know, thank you for your donation to Holly's Help at Hand. And any way that I can ever help you, man, just let me know. Told you he was good. Wow. Great stuff there from Jesse Holly, former Dallas Cowboys wide receiver here on the Sports Spectrum podcast. Again, Holly's helping hands. Your chance to really make a difference and, and help bring uh, just an opportunity for kids and families who are less fortunate to have a great Christmas. And you can donate right now. All you got to do is go to Twitter and go to Jesse Holly's Twitter page at Mr. Fourth and Long, and you can donate to the link. Uh, that is pinned to Jesse's profile there, or you can email Jesse directly. Ho- Holly's helping hands, Holly's helping hands at gmail.com. And you can email him directly. He will email you back. Cause that's how I got in touch with him. And uh, you know, he sent me the link and I donated myself and it was very simple. So hopefully encourage you guys to do that as well. Thanks to Jesse for joining us here on the podcast. Again, follow him on Twitter at Mr fourth and long we thank you for joining us here on the podcast you can always reach us on twitter instagram and facebook at sports underscore spectrum you can also follow me at jason romano or email me directly jason at sports thanks for listening and we'll see you next time right here on the sports spectrum podcast have a great rest of your day